Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. The presence of the Lord is um, just amazing. Just amazing. It's hard to really put it into words, you know, what we get to experience together as the body of Christ come in and lift up the name of Jesus and just to feel his sweet presence sweep through. And uh, it's amazing to receive confirmation in the first few words that Brother Rice said. It's amazing that 1 Kings 19 will be in there a little bit this morning. Um, and and kind of just piggybacking off what he had opened with and kind of what we've been, kind of the vein we've been in in our adult Bible class Sunday mornings, um, just needing the presence of the Lord. He told us with, without him, we can do nothing. So we absolutely have to have his presence. We need presence. And I'm going to talk to us about that this morning uh, from, from this title, In Hiding, kind of attacking loneliness and um, just kind of setting in there and just having a conversation today. I don't have a text. I kind of be a little bit all over the Bible, so I'm going to let you be seated this morning. God bless you. Amen. <clears throat> so I was, so was gathering my thoughts and um, specifically knowing I was going to talk about this <clears throat> subject, um, the subject of loneliness and what we do a lot of times um, when faced with certain circumstances. A lot of times we're known to run, and we've been talking about that for a while now. We're all runners. Uh, but I began to think about, <clears throat> you know, going all the way back to Bible college and being a young uh, kid who just pulled straight up out of Heatonville, Illinois, and plopped down right in uh, the greater St. Louis area. And um, I still have vivid recollection of being dropped off by my mom and being in the college dorm looking out the window as she drove off, and there I was all by myself, you know, so in the in the in st louis isn't like a concrete jungle like a new york but it's still far and wide anything bigger than i had you know had seen so as a kid we would take trips to the zoo um but i wasn't the one driving the car so now i'm the one driving through all of this mess but i remember being left on college campus and just feeling really alone not knowing anyone i mean and you know when you grow up in church and you um you go to camps and you go to conventions and you go to different functions and things like that. You will, chances are you'll wind up at Bible college and you'll know uh, at least one person. I didn't know a single person there. So it was a brand new experience, but I, I felt alone, just truly alone. Um, and, and, and loneliness <clears throat> is a very common human experience. So I don't want anybody to feel you know, like what I'm talking about today, that is something that you fight and handle all by yourself. We, all of us, whether, whether single or married, whether for a short period of time or for an extended season, we all deal with 
with loneliness. There's some statistics out there that are just staggering. Uh, one of them in particular was that around half of Americans, 53%, say that they have meaning, meaningful daily face-to-face social inter- interactions, including an extended conversation with a friend or, or spending quality time with, with people. So most people live alone. Most people eat alone. More than half of all meals, 57%, are eaten alone. Okay, 34% of Americans spend dinner time alone. Nearly 30% of households in the U.S. are comprised of one person. Um, It's the second most common household type after married couples without children. Why so? Because loneliness at its its root is a a spiritual issue. But but we often define loneliness in, in physical or emotional terms. That is, we think loneliness can be defined by the absence of people, whether physically or emotionally. So we think to ourselves, you know, what what we really need to do to fix our problem of loneliness is we need to have more people in our lives. Okay, we need to have more get-togethers. We need to go out to eat more. We need to get together more. We need more people and when that doesn't work, we think, well, we need, uh, we need more considerate people in our lives, right? We need better people. But that doesn't complete the picture either because loneliness is also uh, the presence of pain, okay? It's not just the absence of people. It's also the presence of pain, the pain of separation from somebody, the pain of separation from God. And it all began in the Garden of Eden, where we have been for quite some time, when Adam decided to choose the pleasures of sin, and in doing so, he inherited the pain of loneliness. Have you ever been in a place where you saw loneliness not as a problem, but as a solution to your problem? You know, sometimes we view people as our problem. You know, some of us do have people problems, okay? So, and sometimes we think it's just, it's just easy to get away from people. It's just easily to isolate ourselves and rather than to deal with somebody, rather than to deal with the person. We sometimes choose loneliness over the pressures of people. You know, ministry would be great if it just weren't for people, right? So, and sometimes, Sometimes I myself will, will, cho- will choose to go in hiding. Okay, I like to hide. I like to think of myself as an extrovert. I'm truly an introvert. Um, my wife points this out all the time. Crowds really drain me. I can go and I can have a good time and I could go and do those things, but coming from those, I'm absolutely drained uh, from, uh, from those. I don't like to think of myself that way, but sometimes I do, you know, will, will find myself in hiding. And sometimes all of us can think of hiding places that we go when we're feeling um, overwhelmed by circumstances or frustrated by people. Um, you know, how many of you have a, have a place where you can just get away? If you have a certain spot, whether it's in your house or uh, a certain location, uh, I, think all of us, I think all of us have that. You know, I remember beginning in college feeling all by myself. I'm like, why am I going to sit in this dorm and be all by myself? I'm just going to go get in my car 
and I'm just going to drive around and be by myself and at least have something to look at rather than this one window that I have, you know, in my toaster oven over there. So, um, you know, any drivers that just get in the car and just drive and just think and process things, you know, I just remember getting in a car and just driving and I'm thinking, man, what if I just keep driving? What if I never stop? What if I just drive to the next state? What if I just get out of here and leave this town? It sounds like a country song, right? But, you know, some of us too, we can, can, we can, you know, can think of times in our lives when we felt like getting away from the pressures of people. And so it is that we fluctuate between loneliness as being our greatest problem to thank goodness those people are gone. I can breathe again. <laughs> okay? We see loneliness as a problem at first, but then we think that maybe it's a solution to our problems. And I'm just here to tell you um, that we're not the first people in the history of mankind to choose hiding, to choose loneliness. Many, uh, many of us over the course of history, since the beginning of time, have chosen to hide. And hiding is something that we, we've done since the beginning. Humans have done it since the beginning. And I'm here to remind us this morning that even in your hiding, God has a purpose for that time, that place. You know, sometimes we seek to escape the tough realities of life and escape the pressures of people only to encounter the great reality of God's presence in our hiding. Because I believe in hiding, God still wants to meet with you. I believe in hiding, God still has a great purpose, and God wants to turn it from a place of escape into a place of relationship with him. So I want to talk about some people in the Bible that all dealt with this feeling, people that ran away from tough times trying to find escape. And if you're here today or listening to this later, feeling like this, uh, I'm here to just tell you you're not the only one. This has been since the beginning. We go all the way back to Adam and Eve. Uh, Adam was the first person who chose to run and hide. Genesis 3, God's painting the picture of what life was once, uh, what life once was when we enjoyed perfect fellowship with him and with one another. In Genesis 2, we learn that God took the dust and formed man and he breathed into his nostrils and Adam came into being. And Adam had, I think we can all agree, Adam had a pretty sweet deal. Okay, keep the land, cultivate it, and have perfect relationship with God. And God provides for him a spouse because it's not good for man to be alone. The first thing that God said wasn't good was for us to be alone. And so he creates Eve, and they were together, able to enjoy all the pleasures of the garden, have relationship with God, granted that they did not eat from one tree. This is an amazing deal that they have, a deal that any of us would take here in the room, but they're always, there's always a shiny red button that we like to push, isn't there? There's always something that we aren't supposed to push, and then we love to push it. And so one day, the serpent came to Adam and Eve and said, if you eat of the fruit of which God told you not to eat, not only will you die, but you're going to be like God. And they believed him, and they bit, and the world fell. And suddenly, there they were, overwhelmed with a sense of shame, and a sense of disconnectedness, and the pain of loneliness. And they covered themselves, the Bible says, with fig leaves. 
And then not only uh, did they not only realize that they needed to hide from one another, but they also chose to hide from God. And so they did the first thing that they think to do is they ran and they hid. And it says, and we've covered it several times, God comes in the cool of the day and they hear him and they want to remain hidden from his presence because hear me, hiding would be something that humans do from then on out. So God calls, Adam, where are you? And again, this question was not for him. God knew. God was trying to help them find themselves because they were lost. Adam says, here I am. And God leans down and he asks him, who told you that you were naked? And from then on, humanity creates a history, a history of hiding. In fact, the next time that we encounter someone hiding is, is in Genesis 16 when we meet Hagar. Purchased in Egypt, she served as the maid to Abram's childless wife, Sarah, who gave her to Abram, Abraham to conceive an heir. And after she became pregnant, the Bible lets us know that the relationship between her and Sarah went south. And there is an emotional and even physical uh, issue going on. And so she runs and the Bible lets us know that she hides and she seeks to escape her circumstances. And it says that she runs down by a well, and it's likely that she ran down by a well before, but thinking that, you know, this is my only opportunity maybe to survive, and I'll just live here for a while, and I'll live off of the water of this well, and perhaps I could even raise my son here, and I'll just spend the rest of my life in hiding. But then the Bible says behind her, the angel of the Lord leans down and asks her, Hagar, where have you come from? And where are you going? Elijah, you've already heard of this morning, was the great prophet of Israel known for his workings of miracles. And he was known for his miraculous deeds. And one day he encounters in 1 Kings 18, Obadiah. And he is informed that many of the prophets uh, in, 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 are in hiding because Jezebel, the evil queen, has decided to put a, a death warrant on all the prophets of Israel. And so, uh, uh, because they, because she is now supporting the prophets of Baal, but Elijah, in an act of great courage, says, no, 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 I'm not going to hide. Instead, you tell those prophets of Israel because uh, you, t- you, you tell those prophets to meet me on the mountain and we'll see who the true God is. And I know you know the story. They go down, you build your altar, I'll build mine. You put your oxen on your altar and I'll call down and you try to call down your God and consume it with fire and I'll build my altar and drench with water and so on. So they engage in this battle and suddenly the prophets of Baal start to call on Baal and nothing happens and Elijah calls on God and fire falls the true God of Israel uh, is triumphant. And so Elijah, in this great moment of courage and in great moment of of obedience and victory, uh, but then all of a sudden he gets the memo and the memo comes from Jezebel that says, I'm going to kill you. Now, if you're probably thinking like I'm thinking, man, this guy's on cloud nine. He just saw the miraculous happen. He called on God. God answered fire from heaven. Now, you would think that he would just be filled with such confidence, but the Bible lets us know that he runs away. He he runs away in fear and in trembling. He runs away and he keeps running, 
running to the point where he just wants to die. And an angel of the Lord comes down and says, get up, eat, I'll give you food for the journey. So 1 Kings 19, we find him, he's hidden away in the cave, and he lodges himself in a cave, and behind him he hears the voice of the Lord leaning down, Elijah, what are you doing here? <coughs> we jump over to the New Testament. Remember the story of Simon. Simon remembered the day that he met Jesus. He was in a, he was in a boat fishing, and Jesus came upon him and said, Simon, I'm no longer going to make you a fisher of fish. You're, you're now going to be proclaimed as a fisher of men. And Simon, imagine the excitement about this idea that he was no longer just going to be a fisherman, a lousy fisherman. He was, he was no, not going to be uh, any of that any longer, but perhaps a great warrior. You know, a great warrior king for this great warrior king named Jesus. And he's very excited. I can see everything, can see his future, can see how promising it is. And he's excited that one day Jesus gave him a new name and he calls him Peter. And he says, Peter, you are now Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And this only boosts the confidence of Peter even further in this dream that he's having about his future, the great hope of being someone big and, and all of that. But it wouldn't be three years. Three years later that Peter would find himself denying that very man. And he would watch as his hopes and his dreams of becoming someone great dies upon a cross. Or so he thought. And so he runs away and he hides and he's feeling abandoned and disillusioned and heartbroken and he feels as if his, if his purposes have now ceased. And he, so he goes back, and according to John 21, he goes back to the very place where Jesus originally found him. He goes back to fishing on a boat and he resigns himself to just being a fisherman. So he goes back to the way things were, but suddenly he hears a voice. He hears a voice from the shore crying out, Simon Peter. You remember the story? How's the fishing today? Not too good. Why don't you cast your nets on the other side. And so he does, and he pulls, and it says, it's full of fish, and suddenly he realizes it's the Lord on the shore. So he jumps off the boat, and he runs to shore, and there he would encounter a scene that would remind him of his great shame. He would come upon a fire of coals, and, and he had not seen a fire of coals since the moment that he denied Jesus. So you could imagine at this moment that Peter was full of great shame because this scene was reminding him of the very place in which he denied the man who is now coming back to reclaim purpose in his life. And Jesus looked at him and said, Simon Peter, stay here with me. Eat breakfast, grab some fish. And he leaned down softly and he looked down and he said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Now, all of those stories that we just, uh, went, and no doubt there's more. All of those stories that we just kind of walk through and, and unpack just a, just a little bit, there are so many similarities, so many similarities in these passages 
about God and us in hiding. And I think we would do ourselves a giant favor if we would take note of these similarities because I think they have much to teach us about our hiding as well as the character of God in hiding. And I believe that we can now come to understand and define the hiding place as the following. I think we can define it this way. I think that the hiding place can be viewed as the place or season in our lives when we run from people and circumstances, feel that the world is against us, and embrace loneliness only to encounter God and learn that he is for us and therefore experience true aloneness. We can't help but notice this and see this through the many similarities that, this, uh, that these uh, passages have to offer. One right after uh, another, Adam ran. Here, here's what I want you to take note of. Not one of these people that I just went through very quickly, not one of them was in hiding for the same reason. They all had different reasons. They all different excuses for going there. Adam ran to the hiding place out of a great sense of shame, okay? He had not only ruined his own life, but the lives of everyone else who would live on this planet. Hagar was escaping emotional and physical abuse. She was overwhelmed by her circumstances, and so she hid herself. Elijah was there because at one time he was courageous and obedient, but suddenly he gave in to the reality that all of a sudden he realized that I believe the lie that this God who can consume and alter and consume 400 people doesn't have enough power to save me. That, if Elijah was here, he'd say, that was my thinking. I'm such a coward. I'm a failure. I'm no greater than my father's. And so he runs away in hiding, and he wants to die because he thinks I'm no better than anyone else. I'm just as weak as everyone else. I'm just as much of a coward. as I'm just as much less of a man than any body else and he's there out of hopelessness and loneliness with feelings of guilt and condemnation peter was there because he felt like he had been abandoned i sold out for you i i i, I would do anything i i i and and all of a sudden it's all gone suddenly the great hopes that he had for his life the great purpose for uh, the great purpose with which he hoped to live and ha- held it in his grasp, and now he was left feeling alone, abandoned, and no doubt disillusioned. Man, what is my future hold? And he has that same thought that many of us think. I'm getting older, and I'm still not able to do what I thought I was going to be able to do. I'm such a failure. No doubt there are those who sit on pews all across the world today thinking I, I missed it and I'm, I'll never, my life will never amount to anything. I'm, I'm a failure. I want to point out to you this morning that regardless of the reasons that we are in hiding, the result was still the same. 
God came near. In hiding, in the hiding place, regardless of the reason why we as human beings choose to hide, there suddenly comes the realization that nothing, and I mean nothing, can separate us from the love of God. And suddenly we realize that in, the, in our hiding place, we see that the hiding place for us, we, we think is a chance to run away from people and, and run away from our circumstances and run away from all the, the trouble, but God sees it as a prime opportunity for us to encounter him when we least expect it. No doubt you didn't think that you would encounter the presence of God when you chose to run and hide. And so God, the great God of the universe, in his great love for us, his children, decides that in hiding, he's going to come and he's going to meet with us. <clears throat> There's something else that God does. And he came and he met with those um, that were hiding, those that were trying to escape. Not, not only did he initiate the contact and, and met with them, but he also came with a, a message. And he came and he asked them questions. He asked some questions. How many of you have been in a place in your life where one question changed your life? One question. Could be anything. I was thinking about this this morning, just kind of going back and, and, and hearing questions that were asked of me. And one simple question that changed my life forever is like, what church do you go to? I didn't have a church. Question changed my life. On and on and on. I'm sure you could pick out ones, but we have those questions that people have asked us. And maybe there's someone, some that stand out, questions that change your life. And here we see that God comes to these people who are running, people who are in hiding, and he asks them a question. Why did God ask them a question? I think the purposes are twofold. And I'm gonna land the plane here, ask our music to come, but do you realize that there's something of compassion in questions? Questions are, are my job. They're, they're my career. It's what I do. I, I ask questions. I, I'm paid to be curious. I'm paid to, to call somebody up and ask them questions. Hopefully, they're answering me. Hopefully, they give me answers and stuff like that. Um, but there is something of compassion in questions. There's something of compassion in God's questions because he did not come to Adam. And I love this. God didn't come to Adam and says, get out of here. Get out of here. You messed up. I trusted you with this. You messed it up. Get out of here. No, he said, why are you here? God didn't come to Hagar and he said, go back to where you came from. He said, where have you come from? And where are you going? He didn't come to Elijah and go, you're a failure, you're a coward, give up, you're no better than your father. He said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why, why are you here? 
He didn't go to Peter and go, I told you from the beginning that you were going to do this. I told you from the beginning that this was going to happen. Wake up. He said, Simon, do you love me? And it's in that moment that behind every single question, we hear an even greater question. And the question is this, if I am for you, who can be against you? I'm here for you. You thought, you thought that you were through, but do you understand that I've got plans for you, greater plans then you even imagine I'm not done with you yet. Forget the fact that the whole world is against you. I'm greater than the world. Forget the fact that you feel like your plans have failed. If it's in my will, nothing can stop it. God says, I'm here with you. I haven't left you. And if I'm for you, who can be against you? Nothing can separate you from my love, not even the hiding place, not even what you, you were trying to get away, you were trying to run, you never expected to encounter me. Questions, questions. Second reason I believe that he asked questions is because he was making a profound statement. What was the statement? I think the statement was this, he was going to love them where they were at. But he wasn't going to leave them where they were at. And there's this, there's this common teaching in, 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 in the church today, in Christianity today. And the common teaching is this, that God's love is unconditional. And you know what? To me, that's a partial truth. In God's love being unconditional. <coughs> because here's the deal. God's love is greater than unconditional. Why? Because he can love you in your sin. But he doesn't leave you in your sin. God not only addresses the problem and loves you in the midst of the problem. He's going to work in you to solve the issue. To solve the problem. And by asking them a question, he was therefore orienting them around the idea, around the reality that God was not only going to love them in hiding, he was saying, I know you're hurt. I know you're scared. I know you want to spend the rest of your life here. And you know what? I love you right where you're at. But come, come on out. Come on out. You don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to hide anymore. Come on out of there. It's okay. I love you. I love you, but come into my embrace. I'm not going to leave you in the pit. I'm not going to leave you in the cave. I'm not going to leave you in the hiding place. So come on out. There's no shame in his presence. Some of you are thinking to yourself, ah, Bryce, that's, that's all good and well, but if God loves us so much and he really feels that way about us, if what you're saying is actually true, 
that God does love us, if he's for us and not against us, if, he, if he's initiated the contact with me and it's, it's not merely uh, up to me to seek and find him, then why doesn't he fix our circumstances? Why doesn't he just fix it? Why doesn't he just take it away? Because if you notice in each of these passages, he never fixes the circumstance ultimately. Did Adam go back to a perfect world? No. Adam remained in a broken world. Hagar has to go back and give up the baby. Elijah has to go back and face Jezebel. Peter, he doesn't become the great warrior king that he thought he was going to become. He became a great preacher. But it wasn't quite the earthly victory that he had anticipated. So they had to go back to their circumstances and God did not remove their circumstances. So the question is, if God loves us so much, Bryce, why doesn't he just go and make things right? Why doesn't he just undo all of the wrong? I'm here to tell you that the joy of the hiding place is that God realizes that we don't merely need happy circumstances. We don't merely need an easy life. What our hearts desire and our soul's desire is, is to meet with him. That's our greatest desire, whether you know it or not. And sometimes, stand with me this morning, if you will, sometimes our desires can be clouded by our reality to want an easy life. Oh, I want an easy life. I want a happy life. I want everything to just be peachy king. But in the hiding, God's saying, I'm not going to fix your problems. I'm going to extend to you me. And your greatest need is not a quick fix. Your greatest need, your deepest heart's need is a relationship with your Savior. See, we, we think it's all about the trouble in our lives being removed. And although that message, and I've heard that message, although that message has curb appeal, it's not even close to what God has promised. Because what we see in the scriptures is so much greater. We find the promise that God has broken into our brokenness to find us there, to meet with us there. I love what one author had to say about this. He said, an encounter with him is what we want, but we don't know it. We dream of good marriages talented children, enough health and money to enjoy life, rewarding work, and enough opportunity to make a difference in the world. All good things. Of course we want those things. But we think those are the best things. One way that he works for us is to allow our lower dreams to shatter. 
God lets us hurt and he doesn't make it better and we suffer and he stands by and he does nothing to help, at least nothing that we're aware of or nothing that we're aware we want him to do. In fact, what God is doing while we suffer is he is leading us into the depths of our being into the very center of our soul where we feel our strongest passions. And it is in that place that we discover our desire for God. We begin to feel a desire to know him and not only survive our pain, but actually thrive in it until that desire becomes more intense than our desire for all of the good things that we still Want through the pain of shattered dreams, we wake up to the realization that we want an encounter with God more than we want the blessings of life. And that begins a revolution in our lives. What our deepest need is, church, please hear me, what our deepest need is, is an encounter with God. We need to experience his presence. We need to experience his friendship. And the joy in hiding is not the removal of our problem. It's the reality of his presence with us. You thought you were hiding. But in reality, God was setting you up to meet with him because that's what you need. You need an encounter with Jesus. Would you bow your head with me and close your eyes? Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.